Welcome back to another episode of Goalie Field. I am one of your hosts, Will Muckian. With me today, as always, is host, Connor Hardy. Host number two. Hey, host number two. Um, we are coming to you on the heels of actually a Bournemouth game that just finished up against Coventry City. Got to sort of keep up with that during work. A 3-1 win. Bournemouth now sit atop the championship table. Look at that. We are not going to spend a lot of time on them, but a goal from Jefferson Lerma, an assist from Dom Solanke, and two goals, along with a, a splendid hockey assist from Dan Gosling, uh, who, at 30 years old, was still, somehow still got it. a big-time goal scorer, I guess. Uh, weird. At any rate, um, yet to yet to lose a game, so I am I'm feeling pretty good about that. That is going to be my Bournemouth minute. Um, we are going to actually transition directly into talking about the team keeping Bournemouth seat warm in the Premier League, uh, which is Fulham. Yeah, not Woof. not a not a good <laughs> not a good year. It hasn't really ever been a good year to be a Fulham fan. Um, I I you know we say that, and I know that. That comes from us being Premier League fans, and I know for people who are, like, fans of AFC Wimbledon, like, yeah, it's probably always a good time to be a Fulham fan. <laughs> right, right. You know, but, yeah, this is, this, I gave him way too much credit, and I'm going to be eating crow on this, I think, for the rest of the year, but, yeah, this is a, this is a depressing team. It is, and there's just, um, like, we'll, we'll touch more on this as we go along, but their owner, Tony Khan, um, mm-hmm. released a statement on Twitter apologizing to Fulham fans, um, promising for there to be more investment into the squad and just really working on kind of mending that, uh, mending the team. Uh, for, for good reason, they are dead mm-hmm. last. They have allowed 10 goals this season. Only West Brom has allowed more. Um but West Brom, the difference I would say is that they're playing good teams. Right, exactly, exactly, <laughs> and that's that's kind of what's been shocking about Fulham is just how they've they've come out and just, I mean, they just have not played well. Two straight three 0 losses, of course, this one to Aston Villa, and then later on in midweek against Brentford. Uh, for Brentford fans, that's got to be frustrating. Where was that in the playoff final? Um, for real. But but yeah, I mean just. To really focus on Fulham, I, I know both of our concerns. Um, I know you were a little higher on them than I was. Well, mm-hmm. I'll probably a lot higher on them than I was. But, a lot higher, um, yeah. The concern's always been the defense, and I don't think that's changed. They've shown nothing to um, kind of cement the fact that they've got a solid defense. Um, they've been in talks with defenders for probably a couple weeks now, still have yet to bring anyone in. Um, and 
I mean, honestly, why would you want to go into a team like this at the moment? It's no idea. It, it's not surprising that they haven't been able to sign anyone. And so there's, they just look bad. They're really showing very little attacking threat. All three goals came against Leeds. Um, kind of after it was almost too late and mm-hmm. they just look bad. They, they really, really look bad. Yeah. I mean, blanking against Villa is just, I think that's pretty dire. That's a, t- that's one of those teams. When we talk about how you need to stay afloat at the bottom half of the league, it's beating teams like Villa or at least putting up some semblance of a fight. Right. But the organization back there has just been, I mean, flat out, awful mm-hmm. for them so far i i don't know what the answer is i don't know that you know we're gonna we could talk a little bit about how they're already looking to splash like a lot of cash to fill up certain positional needs and when you're three games into the season <laughs> and everybody's like you need to overhaul your starting 11 that's not great yeah absolutely and it's just it's remarkable how just how bad they've been i mean in all three premier league games we'll only focus on the premier league games um they've they've won two carabao cup games and then of course they went out against brentford like i mentioned midweek but in in the premier league games they concede way too early and it's almost like games gone against arsenal opening week mm-hmm. lacazette scores eighth minute um against leeds helder costa scores in the fifth minute and then here against Aston villa Jack Grealish scores in the fourth minute, and then Essen Villa make it 2-0 in the 15th minute. I mean, they're just they're falling behind so quickly. Um, they have no sort of defensive strength. I Part of me feels bad for Scott Parker. Um, I mean, he's really got no help. Or it's not, yeah. not even no help, but like, it's just none of his defensive options are good enough. And... Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's really it's really just shocking. And so um, there are – we are recording this on Friday, the 2nd of October. The window closes on the 5th of October, so on Monday. We'll see if Fulham are able to get one of these deals over the line. Um, but right now, I mean, they have problems at both ends of the pitch because clearly Mitrovic has scored two of the goals and no one else is really helping. Yeah, and they've there are reports out uh, that they asked Norwich for a price on Todd Cantwell, which I think would be a, a good signing for them. They do need just somebody to transition between that second and final third, um, and he's a he's a good player for that. He's obviously young, obviously pretty highly rated by Norwich. I think they asked for around twenty million last mm-hmm. I saw. Now, Twitter valuations, you know, take those out at face value. I guess take them for what you will. Um, they're also looking at both young center backs and veteran center backs because, I mean, when you're Fulham, who knows? <laughs> do you want to spend the cash to try and survive or do you want to play it safe and, and maybe spend on a youth prospect that when you do fall back down to the championship, you have some sort of asset there to sell you know, to sell off for maybe a little bit more than you brought him in. Right. Uh, I, I don't know what the answer is. This is just – this is a, a truly pathetic team. Um, yeah, I, I – they, I'm they checking. Really looked dead and buried, like already. I'm they checking right now where I had them. I had them in 16th, and that feels too high. <laughs> like 
I feel bad that I had them at 16th, especially, especially because I had them above Brighton. Yeah. And I regret that most of all. Um, yeah. I mean, well, just, just one more thing on Fulham and then maybe just a quick mention for Aston Villa. But, I mean, this is a very, very decisive month. Crystal Palace at home, West Brom at home. Um, and then even into November, they've got West Ham away. So, I mean, um, we'll, we'll get to Wolves and some of these other teams, but those are those are got to be five games that you got to be confident that you can at least get points out of each one, or at least that they're there for the taking, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a massively decisive period, um, and so we'll we'll see how they do. Um, We'll flip it again quickly to Aston Villa. Two wins from two. They were one of the teams that were delayed because they played Manchester City uh, opening week, so they've only they've only played two Premier League matches. But um, pretty clinical so far. One 0 win against Sheffield United, and then now a three 0 win over Fulham. So not not world beaters that they're playing, but they've they've done what they needed to do. They've kept two clean sheets. Emmy Martinez looks great in goal. Um, Mm -hmm. how are you feeling about Aston Villa? Well, you talk about teams that I was low on. I had them, I had them 19th. Um, I do think that we'll see some regression. Mm -hmm. I think that's inevitable. You know, I mean, obviously regression, but I I don't think they're a mid table team. I do think they're like a lower third. Um, I just, look, we talked about Grealish being the engine and, and John McGinn coming back into fitness and what that meant for them. And maybe I underestimated it because they just, they dismantled Fulham. I mean, and part of that is Fulham being Fulham. But the other part of it is, frankly, I mean, Grealish just sort of gets where he wants against these lower table teams. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have sort of the defenders that can really jail him and pocket him and, and keep him under control for the for the game. And he was exerting his influence all over I mean, obviously the early goal, even I think it was the second goal that he like basically did all the legwork for and John McGinn got the assist, but John McGinn just laid the ball off. Jack Grealish was the one who brought the ball up the wing, cut inside. I mean, created all this space for John McGinn. And yeah, I mean, he is, he really is a special player. He, he sure is. And I, I think that it, uh, last year it was pretty much, it had to be, you know, John McGinn was struggling with injury for a lot of it. It kind of had to be the Jack Grealish show, and it, he just about kept them up. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that a real credit to Aston Villa is how well they've spent their money. Um, I think that bringing in Matty Cash, Matty Cash has looked, he's fit right in um, on that right mm-hmm. back side. He's looked great. Emmy Martinez, again, he started both games for Villa. Um, and of course, two clean sheets. Um, he's looked like a great signing. I think Bertrand Traore is going to be super exciting. I love that signing, man. Yeah. I love the Traore signing. He's he's just he's such a thrill to watch, or he was when when he was in Ligon, and I don't know. I I really I dig that. No, yeah, absolutely, me too. And um, and then Ali Watkins bringing him in for Brentford for a fee that a lot of people laughed at. I mean, Brentford mm-hmm. Brentford got a lot for him, but and he's yet to score a Premier League goal. He scored once or twice in the Carabao Cup, uh, but. It just looks like they look much improved. And again, uh, we're kind of comparing them in games against two teams that are winless so far. But uh, it definitely a team to keep their eye on. 
um, as we move forward here. Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, yeah, moving moving ahead to some some other narratives from the weekend, the handball controversy. Just I don't know when we're ever going to be out of the woods on this. Where where can we possibly draw a firm and non-negotiable line on what is and is not a handball? Because every time I feel like we have the ruling nailed down, some ridiculous call, some ridiculous whistle redraws the boundary lines. Yeah, it's I mean it it's really it's really getting awful. And um, I was listening to the the two Robbie Robbie's podcast um, from NBC Sports and. They were they were just kind of talking about how like it seems that we have something in in the game. Um, they they mentioned that a couple years ago it was it was diving it was players diving for penalties and diving for calls and all that kind of stuff. They've noticed a problem and then they've sorted it out and now diving is a lot less of a problem. There are retributions for for if you're caught diving and of course VAR to overturn um, anything that was misjudged. Um, and and now it, now it's handball. I mean it, it's it's become such an issue. I mean you can point to a number of different instances already in the first three weeks of of action. I mean I will say Lindelof's handball against Palace. That's not a handball. Or I mean it, it was called one, but for me that's not a handball. Joel Ward um, against Everton this weekend. That's not a handball. And then of course. Eric Dyer against Newcastle, for me that's not a handball, and that's three times that, um, you know, they've got it wrong. And and Roy Hodgson came out, of course, after the Joel Ward one, after Crystal Palace lost um, with Richarlison scoring the game-winning penalty on that, and you know said it wasn't right, didn't agree with the call, and to his credit said the same thing the weekend prior when uh, he benefited from the Lindelof handball against Manchester United. And then Steve Bruce, who was also on the winning or on the not winning side, but on the beneficial side um, of the handball against Spurs this on Sunday, um, he came out and said, "You know, it's getting ridiculous. We need to we need to make a change because because it is hard. It is hard it, to judge um, intent. However, you you have to. I mean, you, you have to change it because." We're, not, we're now making players play like they, they don't have hands. And that's, I mean, that's, you can never yeah. expect that. Because uh, you have people like Andy Carroll pretty much bringing, being brought on for Newcastle to head the ball on and hit someone's hand. I mean, it's ridiculous. Hitting the hand in itself it should not always be handball. Um, you kind of need to... I mean, what what I'm in a fa- what I'm in favor of, and what I'm a fan of, is just the idea of judging natural position, and so um, that can take a couple things into account. It can be whether or not it looks like the player's sticking it out, um, or if you know if you're getting pushed, your hands come out. That can be deemed a natural position, um, and therefore it can hit the hand and be all right. But if it's if you're putting yourself in an unnatural position, hand up, any of that kind of stuff then it's ruled a handball and a penalty. But, yeah, I mean, it's getting ridiculous. It's getting ridiculous. So, for you, the Maupe handball stands. Yes. The Dyer handball... Does not. Does not. Okay. All right. 
Just wanted to have that firmly laid out. I wasn't sure on the dire one either. I, the thing is, like, I do feel like the rules about intent don't really give any respect to like how important arms are for just like being balanced, right? And controlling your direction and and your landing in the air. And so with stuff like the dire situation, I just I don't understand why you would expect him to tuck in like a penguin and just like flop around in the air. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, right. It's it's just nuts. I I really do feel like VAR has been such a massive farce since it entered the Premier League. Um, it's it's still so early in its inception, but I just can't help but feel super discouraged about the whole system. It was supposed to bring clarity, and instead, it is just totally. It's a storyline every weekend. It really is, and it's it. <sighs> I still kind of go back and forth. Like, I think it was needed in some way. It's just, it's it's taking care of the things that weren't a problem. Like, it has yeah. made handballs such an issue. Because, I mean, you have things where it's not necessarily every time. But, I mean, there are there, there have been some calls over the past year and three games where the opposing team isn't even claiming for a handball. Like, the, the Crystal Palace one, yeah. I'll go back to that one, where they're playing against... United, and um, you know, Ayu comes in on Lindelof. No one's appealing for that. Like, it had right. bounced up off his hand. It's in a natural position, um, and it's just it's going back and giving it when no one, no one, no one needed that. It. And yeah. and yeah, it's it's becoming way too much of a storyline. I don't think it's necessarily the referee's fault. Um, you do have to follow a precedent, otherwise this becomes a whole different kind of mess. But yeah. Um, I think there just has to be more clarity on what it is from the baseline. I think legitimately, like, I'm I'm at the point now where I would be cool if VAR was just used for, like, offside checks. Right, yeah. Like, call handballs as you see them. Yes, we will miss handballs, but we're, that's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Just, I mean, cut the whole, like, checking for a foul in the buildup. I can't think of a single time that somebody's been, like, truly felt like that was a justifiable call really where even where the opposing team benefited and they were like oh yeah like i'm so i'm so happy var was there to like catch that it's just sort of like oh thank goodness we didn't concede but right it's it's just it is really frustrating um going into frustrating and building off of all this stuff talking about the malpay handball oh what a game for brighton yeah, I mean, it's it's honestly like, of course, United come out winners. Um, Neil Mope scores a penalty in the 40th minute. Does a little like celebration, mocking, crying, which of course would only end up to come back to bite him. Um, mm-hmm. Taken from Mbappe for what it's worth. It's not like he just course, made that up. Of course, yeah, um, and then only took three minutes own goal off lewis dunk um and then united take the lead 2-1 with a brilliant brilliant goal from marcus rashford oh my gosh will get the assist there but i mean that's all rashford just kind of toying with the brighton defense and then yeah pulling the ball back and forth yeah absolutely we can't do it justice talking about it you have to you have to go watch it right and then the 95th minute, it looks like Brighton have stolen a point. Um, Solly March heads in from close range at the back post. And then, of course, um, 
we play on, and in the 97th or 8th minute, um, handball called against Mopes. Hand was up. You can say that's an unnatural position. Penalty was rightfully, in my opinion, given, and Fernandez scores in the 101st minute. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about United first and then get to Brighton. But I thought it was just generally, again, uninspiring, uninspiring from yeah. United. They just... Yeah. They... They didn't look like creating much. Uh, there's the own goal, the penalty, and then, of course, Rashford's brilliance. But Brighton bossed this game for a large part of it. Yeah, and and I don't know how much of that is credit to just Brighton being as good as they are because they are just such a solid team. Um, and we talked about this last week, so I don't want to hammer in on it again. But they are they're well set up. Um, mm-hmm. This could be the, the Burnley sneak Europe team for the year. Um but yeah, it's I don't know what it is. I I think honestly at some point Solskjaer has to entertain playing Van de Beek ahead of Pogba. Yeah. And playing Matic or something. It's I don't know what's up with Pogba. He'll have these, you know, he'll have moments where it's like, "Oh yeah, that's the Pogba that like was rumored to go to Real, like that's the Pogba that's been considered like a top 5 midfielder in the world for however many years." But I feel like by and large those flashes are just fewer and farther in between these days. I mm-hmm. and the playmaking isn't isn't really as stellar as it's looked in years past, and part of that is because more of that responsibility is falling on Bruno. Um, but Pogba I think struggles to influence the game sometimes when he's not getting touches partially because he gets mentally disengaged and just doesn't seem to like that the work rate drops. He doesn't seem to like seek out ways to influence the game with movement or with, you know, certainly not putting in shifts on defense. So I kind of wonder if the Bruno thing is, is not necessarily adding two pieces, two world-class pieces together, but rather adding one world-class piece that hampers the ability of another world-class piece in Pogba and, how they sort through that is going to be very interesting because obviously Pog was incredibly talented. That's that's not up for debate. It's just if mm-hmm. him playing with Bruno is going to be incompatible, what do you do with that? Like how you can't you can't really bench either of those guys. So I don't know what the move is. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely a good point and I think that it was um you know, rumored to be bringing in Van de Beek and it would be the three of them in the midfield and they'd be unstoppable right. etc um yeah pogba has looked far from his best um still kind of confused as to why van de beek really isn't the third piece in that midfield yet i mean he came on the 90th minute um for martial and it's um i'm not sure if he's up to not up to fitness yet or you know just trying to slowly work him in with the team as he continues to train more but um I think that will kind of allow Pogba to go forward a little bit more, having that center defensive mid come in there. Um, but again, that's kind of what Matic was in that game, and Pogba still struggled. So that's all. Yeah, that's all. and I think Matic is probably more defensively inclined than Van de Beek. Right, that's a, that's a good point. And so um, I really don't know what the problem he is with him is, though. Um but I will say that the, the main takeaway for me from that game was just that, I mean, United have to sign someone. They just, it looks, uh, again, we talked about it a little bit last week, but just kind of the highs from, you know, 
Ole getting announced as permanent manager. They got the boost. It died off. Um, and then, you know, they signed Bruno. They get that high. It slowly wears off near the end of the restart. And now um, they just still kind of look kind of look dull. And so, you know, Sancho, the deal is the same it's always been. We've got until Monday. Um, and Dortmund are going to make them pay the full $120 million if they need, want him. There's also rumors that they're looking at Usman Dembele uh, from Barcelona. But I, I think the reports have read that Dembele is pretty reluctant to make that move happen. So, um, Understandably. Right. It, it's just all about kind of making that, making that change and making that, that switch that really like unlocks so much of this. Um, and... We'll see if and they can buy do it. a defender, dude. Yeah, buy it like good grief. Yeah, Lindelof needs to be benched, right? Exactly. And then, just real quick on Brighton, of course, this is the second time that we've seen them up against big six opposition already this season. Uh, the other being Chelsea, they, I mean, for large parts of this game, they look like the better team. They hit the post five times, which so unlucky and that's like it is unlucky but that's you hit the post five times and you border on you almost kind of lose that like it's almost not unlucky anymore it's just bad finishing and i mean some of these they they just they have to be goals and bruno fernandez said Mm -hmm. it a little bit after um after the game in his interview it said brighton will feel unlucky but you know hitting the post isn't a goal and i mean he's got a point like you you hit the post so many times you're putting yourself in these positions it's just bad finishing and so um i mean this brighton team has so much creativity so much um so much talent for for a brighton team um to not get any points out of this especially scoring in the 95th minute like that i mean that's just got to be utterly disappointing yeah so question for you do you think the game should have been whistled before the penalty even happened? Because <laughs> there were a lot of people talking about that, and I'm not necessarily – I'm not sure where I land on that because I can understand the argument that, you know, the flow of play dictated sort of holding off on the whistle because obviously it was five minutes added on Brighton's score with like like 94-20 or something like that, yeah. let's say. And game goes, you know, they celebrate for a long time. Game goes back to the line. Do you even really give, do you even have to give United a kick? You know, do they, do they play the ball in and blow the whistle as they did for Brighton at the 100th minute? Or I I don't know. I guess I can see it both ways. That's always the question. And and I've I've never been necessarily someone that like, I, I felt like it probably should have been blown after that. Um, a lot of like these celebrations and all that kind of stuff is kind of taken into account by stoppage time. You don't really need, you know, an extra three, two or three minutes just because they celebrated a goal. And so I thought that that was a pretty valid complaint. Um, but I mean, in the end, it's just, you, you gotta, you gotta play to the whistle. And so to kind of, to lose like that was, was really tough um it was a high scoring game five goals uh kind of like last last week with the high scoring but um a game that had only one goal in it 
was uh, Leeds United, who had been the high yeah. high scoring uh, addition to the Premier League, um, winning one nil late winner by uh, none other none other than Patrick Bamford uh, over Sheffield United podcast hero at this point right um, yeah it's I don't know if Bamford like heard our episodes we talked about the goalie field curse last season a lot I. I we gave we gave Patrick Bamford the goalie field blessing because <laughs> talking poorly about him before the season started, he is off to a terrific run of form. Um, I and conversely, Rodrigo I don't think has has scored at all, right? Or really put forth any sort of statistical contribution. So you're welcome, Patrick Bamford, Rodrigo. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, no, I. I got to say, man, you might have been in the right on this whole Sheffield thing, too. <laughs> yeah, they have not been They have yeah, not been good. Sitting in 19th, negative four goal diff, so they've maybe been a little unlucky to have things break the way they do, but they've always been a low-scoring team that holds their, you know, their opponents to low scores. Um, the problem is they're just not generating anything going forward. And and last year they had a fair bit of luck, I think we would agree on offensively, mm-hmm. where Lise Mousset had, had a hot stretch for, you know, four or five weeks uh, where he was assisting and, and scoring and, you know, generating a lot of offense. And now Callum Robinson is out the door, somebody who we ragged on and we will get to because he's due an apology as well. Um, but, yeah, I... I think it might be time to say we're worried about Sheffield. Yeah, it's um, I, I, I just don't know. I don't see it going forward. And like, th- their defense. Now they did just sign. They did just sign Brewster from Liverpool, right? For 23, 23 mil, and and that could do something. But he's a championship level striker right now, and I'm not sure that's going to get them over the line. Right. It will be very, very interesting to see how Brewster fits into the lineup. Um, I mean, he's surely going to go right up top. Um, but it's just, yeah, I mean, Sheffield are just, they're just not good enough. And it's, um, you know, Lundstrom had a golden chance in this game pretty early on. It was a great save by Meslier um, for Leeds, who was actually their man of the match. Um, but it's just the the chances they've been a bit injured um i mean sheffield i i thought they were going to struggle and they have they have yet to score a goal um it will be again very interesting to see how brewster plays but um but yeah i think it's i think it's right to be just a little bit worried about them um and we'll see if they can kind of sort it out going forward cuz this was you could tell I it did... was kind of a panic buy i mean spending almost 25 million yeah exactly on you know a talent from liverpool who has been on loan in the championship swansea of course and just hasn't really proven himself liverpool um i mean paying that much for him you can tell it's a panic by getting to the end of the window they have yet to score they need goals from someone and we'll see if it pays off yeah uh might be time to bring billy sharp back into the fold i don't know right um, yeah, we'll, we'll move forward a little bit. I don't have a whole lot more to say except, you know, congrats leads for finally keeping a clean sheet. Um, Aaron Ramsdale, you got your work cut out for you, bud. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Speaking of former Bournemouth players, Nathan Ake scored in a 5-2 drubbing by Leicester that uh, put put City on notice, I think. Uh, things are not necessarily as harmonious there as we might like to think they are. They've been such a machine of efficiency over the last few years that it's easy to think that's the way things will always be. But Leicester controlled this game um, despite needing three penalty goals to make the score what it was. They were in control of this game. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it, it was just kind of a shocking performance. And this is, um, I will say, I'll be the first to say that I was, I was wrong. Um, it's, it's odd to see Man City have a negative goal difference, but they do at the moment. It's minus one. Um, and I, I really didn't think this was gonna happen from City this year. Uh, we were talking in our in our preview pod, and I, I thought that you know the hunger was going to return with Liverpool being on top now, and that you know things were going to kind of be pulled together, and that Man City might establish their dominance again. But but these are the exact type of performances that Liverpool do not have, and that's what led to the problems last year. Is that I mean Man City are they're not falling off a cliff, but they're they're gradually declining. And Liverpool are, are assenting and even just holding still at the top. And so, um, yeah, a pretty dreadful performance from pretty much everyone outside of Riyad Mahrez and Nathan Ake um, for Man City. I will give full credit to Leicester. I mean, they're nine points from nine. Um, they look really good. Timothy Castagna looks like a phenomenal signing. Dennis Pratt has been good. Um, of course, you know, Vardy with his hat trick. They'll say, yeah, they got three penalties, but, I mean, the defensive errors from City were exposed. Um, of course, they brought in Ruben Diaz um, after the match. Have to imagine that was not a coincidence. Otamendi out the door. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, again, we're not going to full-on ring the alarm bells for City, but with regards to, you know, achieving a championship or, or trying to reach that title... Um, things are not looking good for them. Yeah, no, certainly not looking on, you know, on the form. But to be fair, I would say that very few teams have looked on the form yeah. besides Liverpool to start the year. You know, we, we can, and I guess Villa, I mean, credit to them, they you can only play who's in front of you, and they've played those teams very well. But... Yeah, I just, this has not been an impressive beginning for, I think, a lot of clubs that expected to have impressive beginnings. Um, and, you know, Leicester, again, getting these uh, these big goal explosions to offset their goal difference so they inflate their status on the table. They are in first right now, Liverpool in second. But I don't think anybody would argue that Leicester looks the more dominant team. Um Compared to Liverpool, certainly not. But I, I have been thoroughly impressed with how Leicester have started this season um, because they had such a sharp decline at the end um, before the restart and yeah. even, of course, into the restart, falling completely out of the Champions League places and ending up in fifth. Um, I mean, it, it looked like, you know, Brendan Rodgers and all these players were kind of swinging above their, their um, like, talent their level. Rate. Yeah. And... It's just, I mean, they've come out and they've they've really kind of shown that probably 
at least that for now is not the case. I mean, a shutout win against West Brom, win against Burnley, and then of course beating City here. And so uh, they brought in Wesley Fofana, who will be from St. Etienne, um, who will kind of slot into that defense as well. And all of this to say that I, I've been thoroughly impressed with Leicester. Um, kind of expected them to, you know, maybe drop below back into the shadows a little bit, but um, they're they're trying to stay relevant. And let's let's take this time to give some full props to Castagna, who has had, I would say, a, a really, really impressive spot replacing uh, Ricardo Pereira. Yeah, no kidding. In the right-back spot. I mean, two assists in three games is a pretty good return for a guy who's been with the team for like a month. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, elsewhere, Wolves just could not get it going against West Ham in a result that I could not have predicted if you gave me 10 tries. Um, I probably would have guessed Wolves 1-0, Wolves 2-0, Wolves 3-0 in increasing varieties through those 10 guesses. And instead, it was, what was it, 4-0 4 West, West Ham? Ham yeah which is just a nuts result for a team that stinks to high heaven like West Ham does. Um, Seb Haller got, got a goal. Good for him. Um, occasionally he does that, which is cool. Um, <laughs> it's very rare, but let's see. Yeah. I'm trying to Jared Bowen was up. a pretty yes, dominant right. force. Um, hadn't really seen him, you know, kind of assert himself in the Premier League yet after being signed from Hull uh, last January. But, um, you know, I was talking to my brother a little bit about this, being the Wolves fan that he is, um, and just how, you know, depressed he was about this. Um, it was just a shocking performance from Wolves. They don't, they don't have this a lot where they just can't create, but um, they couldn't create, hence the no goals, but also just kind of being torn apart at the back. Um, conceding four against, like you said, a West Ham team that looked kind of dead to the world. Um, was just a, about as rough as an outing as you can have for a side like Wolves. Um, and yeah, he he was just, you know, getting kind of excited, bringing in some more people, bringing in Nelson Semedo, um, y- you know, kind of kind of working that up a little bit. But um, this was really kind of like a, a proper buzzkill from Wolves losing four 0 to West Ham. Um, and maybe, maybe West Ham are not as dead as we thought they were, but I will need some thorough week-after-week evidence that that's the case. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not taking too much away from, from this performance for West Ham's sake, nor am I taking too much of it away from Wolves. You know, they're going to have these games. They're, this is what separates, you know, a, a Champions League side from a Europa League side, certainly, really. Certainly. Um, uh, yeah, West Ham, you know, Jared Bowen is a quality player. I watched him sort of just sneak into good spots, and I in Bournemouth's preseason game against them, he's he has really good timing, and he's he's a finisher who can who can get goals with his head or with his feet, and he looks solid. You know, you're going to have those games. He was a, he was pretty highly rated. Um, as a transfer target for a lot of teams. I know at the last window uh, and, and went to West Ham because they've got money to burn apparently. Right. And he, finally the returns are showing. So I'm, I'm happy for him in that sense. Um, it seems like 
once players get out of Hull City, they tend to prosper a little bit. So I, I would like to see that from him. He deserves that. Right. I just, like you, am not taking too much definitively away from this game. Uh, another game where I struggle to come up with a takeaway is the absolutely bananas 3-3 Chelsea draw. Excuse me. Burp coming on. Uh, <laughs> with West Brom. Well, where West Brom went 3-0 up. Yeah. And then just let it slip away. Yeah. And I, I will give full credit to you. Um, Derek, because I remember texting you and it was 3-0, maybe it was only 2, 2 or 3, and I said, I think we owe West Brom an apology. Um, yeah. And you, to your credit, before any of the Chelsea goals had gone in, said, uh, nah, like, I think I think we'll wait for full time. Like, I, I can still see in this be like a, a proper barn burner having the wheels fall off. And sure enough, three second half goals from Chelsea, from Mount hudson Adoy and Abraham, um, secure the draw for Chelsea. Um, let's first touch on West Brom and then get to Chelsea and just kind of what the hell is going on there. Um, West Brom, yeah, we, we do not owe West Brom an apology, but I think, to your point earlier, we probably do owe Callum Wilson, or Callum Wilson, Callum Robinson. Callum Robinson. Uh, sorry. They wish they yeah, had Callum Wilson. Both playing in stripes now. Um, Callum Robinson, an apology, scored the first two goals Um and really gave West Brom a lively player at the front to aim for. Um, and it was something that they, they clearly, you know, used and, and were able to be dominant in that first half. So um, we didn't really see that transfer from Sheffield as being a whole lot um, of, a, of a benefit for them. But um, he kind of proved his worth today. Yeah, no kidding. Um I don't know if he just he maybe Slavon Bilic just lit into him and said, "Hey man, you're like you are our front guy. We don't have like a backup option." Right. Cuz who in their right mind is going to field like Charlie Austin at this level of, right. of play? Uh nobody is the answer. And and Robinson answered the bell, you know, he found spaces and Chelsea's defense was just just horrendous. Mm-hmm. Uh Thiago Silva just handed the ball off. I mean, that was that was brutal. That was embarrassing. Um, brought in to be this calming veteran presence that would bring the best out of Andres Christensen. And, well, instead, uh, not quite. Yeah. Yeah. That was... uh, speaking of Andres Christensen, real quick, why was he not suspended? Um... I don't – that doesn't make sense to me at all because he had a red in the Liverpool game. That is a good question. I think it's because they played. Did they play a cup game yeah, and that they counts? Yeah, Carabao Cup and since okay. it's an English game. Okay. It counts, but. Um, gotcha. But yeah, well, just moving on from West Brom, which I think that our takeaway from there is that they they may be a bit livelier than we thought, but certainly not moving the needle off the relegation. They got lucky more than they were like outright good. Yeah. And I, they, they were all over Chelsea for the first like 20, 25 minutes. And once that faded and Chelsea sort of found their footing, there was nothing West Brom could have done. Yeah. I mean, it was a matter of time. And I think that we're still both pretty heavy on the fact that they're going to get relegated. Um, I will say on to Chelsea, um, a pretty interesting second half. Um, 
Yeah. Bringing off Kovacic and Alonso at halftime for Hudson Adoy and Espilicueta. I mean, Marcus Alonso was bad, and I think the the solace so for Chelsea awful. players or Chelsea fans is that Ben Chilwell was brought in for this exact reason, and that they will not have to watch yep. him play in that position for much longer. Um, you've already mentioned Thiago Silva. I mean, that's not how you want to make your debut. Awful mistake, gifting them a goal. Um, and then, of course, Willy Caballero was in goal. I don't think he had a, really an awful game. I mean, just kind of... He was just left on ice yeah, a lot. Yeah, but was, was beat for the three goals. Um, and, of course, Edward Mendy um, was announced and played his first game in midweek against Spurs uh, in the Carabao Cup. That went to Pens. Right, how about that? But... What a way to make your debut. All of this to say that slowly the Chelsea signings are making their way in. You know, Werner's been playing. Mm -hmm. Havertz has been playing a lot. This being Thiago's first game. But are you at all worried that the big money wasn't put to the right use based on how we've seen them? One win, one draw, one loss? You know, I'm not, especially because the loss was against Liverpool in a game where they looked pretty competent. If, if a little lacking in Venom in the final third, that's a tough team to play against. Mm-hmm. And was it not for a very silly Christensen red card, who knows how that game would have ended up and how we'd be talking about them, even if they were sitting on one win and two draws, you know, how differently we'd be looking at this team. Um, so I, I'm not super worried. Do I think they could have spent the money a little better? Yes. Um, I don't know... I mean, they were never going to bring in Koulibaly, you know, so the, I think there's a there's an upper limit to how much they could really shore up their defense versus how much they were able to add to their attack this year. They added to their attack, and that's fine. Let that develop how it does. Um, I think there may be teams in, in the Premier League, in the lower half of the Premier League, who could be looking to ship out some of their, you know, talented rotational center backs. Mm-hmm. Um and I would be keeping an eye on that if I'm Chelsea and maybe making a move in the January window if things really stay this sort of shaky. Yeah, I think that I think that's a fair point that, you know, you always got to let them gel into the lineup. Um, I just think the defense really has to be sorted out. It was interesting to note that the three goals from Mount Abraham and Hudson-Odoi were all from... Uh, you know Chelsea youth players and none of the none of the signings that were brought in but um, I think that they've really got to work on this I mean they're already out of the Carabao Cup um, you know the Premier League has certainly not started in the way that they would have wanted it to and so um, we'll see if they can get that sorted out uh, on the topic of you know going the way you wanted to Liverpool look just as dominant as last year Right where they left off. Right where they left off. Um, Quick recap of the game. Lacazette actually opened the scoring for Arsenal after a horrible Andy Robertson mistake, making it 1-0 Arsenal in the 25th minute. But three minutes later, Mane tied it 1-1. And then six minutes after that, Andy Robertson um, gave Liverpool the lead, amending his mistake. And then Diogo Jota, um, the new signing, of course, uh, made his debut and scored the third goal for Liverpool in the 88th minute. Uh, to give Liverpool the 3-1 win. Um, you have down here, fair to say, Mane is the best red yet. And, um, you know, he certainly continues to build a case for that. 
I just don't know. I mean, I, I certainly think it could go either way, and it wasn't too hot a take to say it last year. Um, I just... I don't even know. I, I, You know, I look at them... I, I almost look at Mane and Salah as, like, inseparable in terms of how we evaluate them, that we almost evaluate them as a package deal every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because that's more or less how they operate. Firmino... You know, a lot of times the wingers are supporting a striker, but in this case, Firmino is supporting the pair of wingers. Um, And that's what makes Liverpool's attack so deadly. That's what makes them able to move so quickly. Uh, I think, I think Mane's got a good case for early on, you know, we're three games in, of course, early on for being the best red on the roster right now. Yeah. Could that change? Sure. Goodness knows we could we could be talking about Tiago as the pick at the end, though it bears mentioning now that both he and Mane will not be playing for a little bit as they both have coronavirus. Right. <laughs> right. That was uh, so maybe none of this matters anyway. Yeah, that was certainly an interesting turn. Tiago was announced earlier this week and then Mane uh, just this afternoon was announced to have had coronavirus. Um, and so, of course, that will that will sideline. Um, you know, a little bit of Liverpool's gusto. Um, they certainly have talent, um, even on the bench. So, um, you know, it's not necessarily like they are screwed in any sort of that. Um, and they have, let's see, they got Aston Villa and then they've got, um, it's probably a good thing that the international breaks coming up and then they face Everton once they come back. So, um, definitely, you know, a shame that um, that the protocols are still in place, but people are still, you know, contracting coronavirus. Notably, David Moyes last week. Um, Ilkay Gundogan had it, I believe. Still has it. I'm not sure. So, uh, you know, that that still remains an ever-present threat. Um, but yeah, just with regards to the game, I think Arsenal, you know, starting off with the goal, and I think that this was a a pretty real test, but they were they were pretty thoroughly outplayed, I'd say. Um, yeah, Arteta is, I think, firmly in the second tier of like good managers. You yeah. know, yeah. he's not Pep yet. He's right. not, you know, he's not Klopp, but he also doesn't have the squad that either of those guys have. Exactly, and I think that it was definitely good uh, revenge for Arsenal to knock Liverpool out of the Carabao Cup uh, in midweek yesterday. So. Um, they can at least fall back on that. Um, we'll cross the River Mersey. Well, t- to be honest, no, they're both on the same side. But um, we'll cross Stanley Park then, if you will, and go over to Everton, who are also nine points from nine, um, with probably their worst performance of the season so far, still picking up three points at Crystal Palace, who um, were also unbeaten going into that game. Uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored in the 10th minute after great build-up play um, with Seamus Coleman-Hames and then, of course, being finished off by DCL. Uh, Kuyate scored in the 26th minute to make it 1-1 off of a corner. Um, and then Richarlison scores the penalty in the 40th minute. Um, go 2-1 at halftime and 2-1 at full-time as well. Um, we've already talked a lot about the handball. Um, Joel Ward, of course, who gave away the penalty in the 40th minute. Um, that really is lumped in with that really, really harsh handball call. So, um, but we don't need to dive too much back into that, but 
Um, on the whole of it, Everton were good enough to get the three points. Um, and I think that, that that continues to show the improvement. Uh, this is not a team. This is Everton that, you know, oftentimes will find themselves losing games that they shouldn't. And this kind of just had the air of one of those games. But to still be able to come out with three points uh, is kind of a sign that Everton is really turning the corner, yeah? Yeah, for real. I mean, resiliency is not a, uh, a trait we've associated with Merseyside Blue in the past. Right. Uh, but lo and behold, this is a team with with the ability to gut its way to wins, and that is such a valuable skill to have both in personnel and in coaching. And I think they've got both in spades. They've got people who are able to generate instant offense from dead ball situations. They've got enough movement up front to create, you know, very quick and precise counterattacks. And they've got, you know, a big man up top in DCL that is there to finish those opportunities. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what we can expect here uh, from them long term. But I'm psyched. I, I'm psyched yeah. to see. I'm psyched to see what Everton Everton can do. Especially they have just brought in Ben Godfrey from Norwich for 25 mil. This is a great signing for them, especially given that Mason Holgate is is injured, I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's not like their center back core is especially inspiring. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm super psyched. That's I think that's a super smart move. He was one of probably for my money one of the best assets for acquisition. Uh, on Norwich's roster. I'll be happy to see him out of the championship because obviously I'm trying to stomp Norwich this year and (laughs) Everton fans should be happy to see him on the roster. He's, he's extremely sound um, in a way that, you know, I don't know that Keen is really the, the answer there. I don't know that Yerry Mina is really the answer there as much as I think he would like to be. So Filling filling out that rotation, or at least having a guy to turn to when those guys aren't on form, it will be of value in and of itself. Right, exactly. And I think that for Everton, it's just, you know, you can never have too much cushion between Jordan Pickford and the ball. And so, you know, <laughs> just kind of adding someone in there to keep that rotation that is true. going. That uh, is true. Is, is a really nice move. Um, so they continue. And then I just want to end real quick on Spurs. We haven't really gotten to discuss their performance um outside of the handball incident uh of course drawing 1-1 with newcastle lucas mora opened the scoring in the 25th minute his first goal in quite some time um and then Cal mm-hmm. wilson scoring the penalty in the 97th minute after the handball was called against eric dyer um it was it was a good performance from spurs and that, that's what's kind of frustrating that it, it's one that does not end in a win. Uh, Carl Darlow, one man of the match, he was phenomenal in goal for Newcastle. Um, really did all he could to keep Spurs from getting a second. And so that was that was frustrating to kind of, you know, get a goal in the 25th minute, cool off a little bit, but they just could not find that second goal. And, um, of course, you always leave yourself susceptible to, you know, call going late against you and... Um, leading to a penalty. So just kind of a frustrating game. Certainly the penalty leaves a bad taste in your mouth, but um, just kind of overall unfortunate that Spurs were unable to get three points out of a game that they did play so well in and created so many chances, um, but just were not able to kind of get it over the line. 
Um, I think that, you know, the, the mood around the club is growing, though. Um, they've played th two times, thrice already this week. Um, you know, the game against Newcastle, then, of course, they beat Chelsea in penalties in the Carabao Cup, which just feels awesome to, to do. And then uh, they beat Maccabi Haifa in the Europa League yesterday uh, to finally, finally reach the group stage. They won 7-2. to two. Um, And so, you know, the mood is growing. I think that the players are feeling more confident. Delhi got some game time uh, on Thursday. And um, just to kind of be able to continue to improve the squad, Regulon played his first game on Tuesday against Chelsea and looked great outside of being sent to the cleaners by his Billy Quetta. Um, <laughs> sent to the shadow realm. The right, guy got swiped. Right. Um, and then they finally signed uh, Carlos Vinicius from Benfica today this was the striker that we've been waiting on this was Mourinho's first choice mm -hmm. so um it's a loan uh with an option to buy next summer for i think it's 45 million euros so um definitely definitely looking forward to seeing him in action um that's definitely something that they just needed they can't have kane playing day in day out so um yeah and and I DM something to you, but the statistical output for uh for this for this Carlos fella, pretty pretty promising for yeah. uh, translation to the uh, to the Premier League, um, as rated by Smarter Scout at Smarter Scout on Twitter. Uh, they've got some really great stat stat models, touch maps, heat maps for this sort of thing, uh, shot maps as well. Huge huge just dominating presence in the center so not a guy that you would play next to Kane necessarily not a not a two a paired striker mm -hmm. really but in terms of converting chances in terms of the chances he takes um, granted Portuguese football is not up to snuff with right. English football but this guy is drawing comparisons statistically speaking and models you know you can judge models for what they are to Robert Lewandowski and Sergio Aguero. <laughs> and that is two very good people to be compared to when you were looking to loan in a striker with an option to buy. <laughs> Certainly. And um, notably, again, with, with Vinicius, uh, the struggles that he had were in the Champions League against, you know, sort of mm -hmm. elevated competition. So that will be the big question. Like you had mentioned, Portuguese, the Portuguese league is different than coming into the Premier League. Um and so we'll see if, you know, he's able to kind of find his feet in the Europa League maybe and, and kind of get in the goals um, to really, really get off the mark. Um, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, really excited um, about that signing. Hopefully they can get Milan Skriniar in um, before Monday. We'll see if that does happen. But um, a rare productive window for Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, count the number of times you can say that on one hand. Exactly. Also... And Dombele update, he still looks really good. Yes, yes, he sure does. He still looks really good. That is all. He he, he bossed that game. I, I was really happy to see that. Um, but that is where we will leave it, I think. Yep. Um, more games tomorrow. That's, I guess, the benefit of recording on a Friday. That uh, mm -hmm. we get to go right into the next match week. So um, we will be back again next week to talk about week four of the Premier League. But uh, until then... I am Hunter, and he's Will. And I'm Will. Choose.
Tschüss.